It was the most tension-filled week we ever spent with Jesus. It started off easy enough. We were going to Jerusalem. Some of us were apprehensive, but Jesus was determined. And on that Sunday, as we got closer to Jerusalem, he ordered a couple of us to go into a nearby town and to pick up a, a colt that would be tied there. It seemed like an unusual request. After all, we walked everywhere. We hadn't traveled anywhere with a colt or a donkey. We never rode on anything, but it was Jesus' request, and we were ones that obeyed. And so we went and we got the colt, found it just as Jesus had said, brought it back. And then we were surprised when we gave it over to Jesus that he mounted the colt, that he sat upon it. And then he began to parade into the walled city of Jerusalem. Oh, and the crowd went ecstatic. They went crazy for this. They started lifting him up with their praises and their words and their voice. Palm trees, palm branches came off. And they began to praise him and celebrate him as no one had done in Jerusalem except a returning king like David from battle. It was an obvious sign of his messiahship. We joined in with the crowd. We joined in with the throng. Who wouldn't get caught up in that kind of celebration? When we finally got into the city and we got into where the temple was and we entered into the temple, there were some of us who were relieved that it was late in the day because Jesus merely looked around and decided it was too late to do anything today. And he began to leave. There were others of us that were frustrated by this because we thought now was the moment, now was the time. This is what we signed up for. This is what we've been waiting for. Jesus will become king. The Romans will be deposed. Once again, God will reign and dwell here from Jerusalem. And Jesus turned his back on all of that. And we left the city, some grateful that we got out alive, others disappointed that this hadn't been the moment. We walked back to Bethany and stayed there until the next day, and we got up again to enter into Jerusalem, figuring that maybe now things would be better. Now things could be progress in a more orderly fashion. We had no idea what Jesus was about to do. Maybe we should have because he got angry at a fig tree on the way in. <laughs> he didn't normally get angry at trees. When we got into the temple area and there we were, the first thing he started was to look sad, to look depressed, it turned to anger. You could see it on his face. Suddenly there he was, Jesus, this calm teacher, throwing over the temple courts, throwing over the tables of the money changers, upsetting everything else, castigating everybody around that this was supposed to be a house of prayer and that they had made it into something else, that they were thieves, robbing God. It was not a, a simple process to watch and it was not a calm moment to experience. Everybody got upset. Jesus finally turned and left. We followed him out, wondering who would be following us. But the next day when we walked in, thinking that maybe we could smooth things over with the ruffled feathers that had Jesus had done the previous day, as we moved in, we realized, well, it wasn't going to be that good a day because we walked past the fig tree, you know, the one that he cursed, and it was dead. 
it was dry. This would be no ordinary day in Jerusalem, and as soon as we walked into the temple area, the Pharisees were there. They'd heard about what had happened the previous day. They were ready for Jesus, and they began this clash. Not that we hadn't seen it before, but we were in the temple. We were on their turf. They weren't coming to us in Galilee and trying to question Jesus. We were in the place where they worked, where they lived, where they ruled, and they started to take on Jesus again. But you see, here's the problem. You can't verbally spar with Jesus. He always wins. He has such a command, not just of language, but of understanding and of thought and of reason. And every time they came with him and they, they questioned his theology, they questioned his doctrine, they questioned his authority, he would turn the tables on them, just like he had turned the tables on the money changers. And so Jesus won the day but if you watched the Pharisees walk away, you knew he had not won the war. Something more would come. And here came the Sadducees. I don't like these men. They always want to talk about the resurrection. They always want to talk about why the resurrection cannot happen. They always want to talk about a sense of hopelessness, that you die and that's it. And so they concocted this story to trap Jesus, but it didn't work. He turned the tables on them, and they walked away sad. You see? Finally, on that Thursday, we entered back into Jerusalem once again. This time, we asked him, we said, Master, where are we going to celebrate the, the Passover tonight? Surely we're going to celebrate somewhere. If we'd been back in Galilee, it would have been in one of our homes with one of our families or close friends, but we were in Jerusalem, and considering the last several days, I wasn't sure that we had any friends, and I knew we didn't have any family in town. I thought maybe we'd go back to Bethany. We could celebrate with Lazarus. At least there we had a comfortable place, some place that would welcome us. But Jesus had other plans for the second time in less than a week. He told a couple of the disciples, you go into the town, find a man standing there with a water jar. He'll take you to a room, and and there prepare for the Passover and so we went and sure enough just as there had been with the donkey there stood the man with the water jar we went up and approached him he said come with me and there we went back to the place that was ready or at least was available to us and there we prepared the Passover I must tell you I was glad that it was an upper room at that point, we needed security, all of us. I wanted a place that had doors and windows that could be shut. I wanted some time when we wouldn't be afraid of somebody coming in. It had been a tension-filled few days. And all we really wanted was to spend a little quality time with Jesus. Just, just us. Just him. The crowds, they always press in on us. The crowds are always coming to us. The crowds are always a part of this. We value those moments when we can have just with Jesus, just to talk with him. 
And here we were going to celebrate the ritual of the Passover meal. Could there be anything better? Just the 13 of us in this upper room with everything prepared and everything ready and the doors closed and the windows closed so that it could just be us. And the meal was glorious. It was wonderful. I take such, such comfort from the ritual of having done this every year of my life with people that I love and care for and people that love me and care for me and to go back through the story of the exodus and what God has done in leading us out of Egypt and how he continues to be with us. It is affirming. It is wonderful. I love the ritual. If only it had gone well that night. Because as we finally were just sitting back and eating the meal and the table was messy, as it gets at the end of a meal, Jesus suddenly looked at us and said out of the blue, one of you will betray me. It hit us like an arrow through the heart. One of you will betray me. Two thoughts immediately went through my mind, and I suspect it went through all of our minds. The first was, no, Jesus, it can't be. No one here would betray you. We have seen too much. We have seen the miracles that you have done. We have participated in feeding 5,000 people with a, a few loaves and a few fishes. We have seen you raise people from the dead, give sight to the blind, and allow the lame to walk. No one around this table would betray you. We have seen too much. You have been too much to us. The second thought that went through my mind and through us all was the counter to that. It came at the same time with equal fury. The realization that it could be me. That I could be the one. I found myself blurting out, is it I, Lord? Even as I heard each of my brothers ask the same question of Jesus. Somehow in that moment, in that terrible revealing moment, we all knew that we had the same capability to betray Jesus, even though none of us could imagine that it could be me. All of us could realize that it could be me. We hung our heads. Conversation around the meal ceased. Until finally Jesus broke the silence the meal had ended. We had but the cup of Elijah to go and the benediction that would help us to celebrate the idea that the future was ours, that God was going to be gracious and go with us to the future. When Jesus stood up and said, this ritual that we have done tonight will never be done the same again from this time forward. Never again? A new ritual? We hardly understood. Jesus told us that this now would be a new covenant that he would make. And that from this day forward, we were to renew this covenant every time that we gathered. He took up the bread, one of the loaves that had not been used. He took it up. He showed it to us and he said, this bread, this which we have been eating throughout this meal, this that is part of our celebration, this bread... This is my body because my body is about to be torn 
broken. Suffer. And it will be all for you. In the same way, he reached down. He picked up the cup of Elijah, that cup that anticipates the coming of the Messiah. And he said that this cup represented not the cup of Elijah, not the anticipation that the Messiah would come, but that this cup now would represent his blood, his death, his sacrifice. We could hardly understand what he meant. But he took the bread and he took the wine and he passed it to us in silence and in obedience we ate and drank not knowing what it was that we were doing but now now we know for it has been months since Jesus died on the cross it has been months since the resurrection has taken place. It has been a significant time since he ascended from us and since the Holy Spirit came to us on the celebration of Pentecost that day. And now we know, now we understand, now we see, not through some dark glass, but now we see the reality that Jesus died on the cross so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be whole. And that he did not just die on the cross and that we celebrate this body and this blood because he died. We eat this bread, we drink this cup because Jesus is alive. That the presence of God is here among us. That Jesus, though he ascended, has sent the Spirit so that the Spirit of God might be with us and might be among us. And so that when we eat and when we drink, we might receive and drink not just the presence of God, but the life of Jesus Christ himself dwelling in us. And so, in this glorious moment that is made special by the fact that Jesus is here, I invite you to come and to eat and to drink. No one will serve you. No one served us that night. Jesus merely provided the elements for us. We were the ones that came and took and took the bread and dipped it in the cup. We ate and drank. So no one will serve you today. You must simply come and take and eat and drink and do so in remembrance of him. And after you eat and drink, we're going to sing a hymn just as we did that night, because after we ate and drank, we sang and we left, because our ministry was not in that upper room. It was out in the city. And so when you come and you take and you eat, and as we sing, I invite you to leave, to go from this place, out to where those who need to hear the story of Jesus will be, and tell them and show them and share with them the life-giving message that Jesus died for us, but that Jesus also is alive among us. Amen and amen.